Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mega Plus TV. I am Lee. I am here. I'm joined by Spencer. Spencer, say hey to the people. Hey, everybody. Spencer, we did it. We're here. We're Season amazed. 2, Episode 10 of Succession. This means we are completely caught up after this episode. We will be ready for Season 3 in the fall. Spencer, what did you think of the episode? Well, I've told you before just how important I view conclusions in terms of the overall view of the show. It's something that a properly well-written show is built to its entire way. It is the resolution of all the various plot points, or at least the ones that we need to, to have a, a very firm and satisfying conclusion. And after, you know, some disappointments that we've recorded before in talking about things like Game of Thrones or Star Wars, I gotta say this was the most single disappointing thing I've ever experienced. I mean, with how much incredible buildup that went into this, with how many well-done plot lines, to see this poorly written, poorly paced, just rival to the outright shit that we saw at the end of the Game of Thrones was just utterly soul-crushing. What? What are you? T what did you watch? Uh, I'm just fucking with you. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there, dude. Because I thought we were going to do another uh, Last Jedi situation. <laughs> no, I'll just it, berate you for your opinion. It was. I was amazed how tense this was. I mean, this show has not really done that kind of in the moment under threat since maybe Bore on the Floor. It's been a bit of. We've had a bit of a break since that, but I was on the edge of my seat watching this thing, watching characters that. I probably legitimately shouldn't care about because they're awful people, but I'm invested in how these, their storylines conclude. And I was just gripping my seat in anticipation for where this would wrap up, and good God was it satisfying. This was an expertly written, wonderfully done, perfect resolution to the arc they've been setting up throughout now two seasons, particularly this last one. And I'm so looking forward to talking about it with you. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, this is such an absurd show. The characters are ridiculous. It shouldn't be this good, mm -hmm. but they just write it so well. Oh, yeah. And, and the acting. Dear God, the acting that went into some of these moments. We're going to talk about a smirk here as just why it should have won its own its, its own Emmy right there. Yes, an Emmy for the smirk. I, uh, this, yeah, I completely agree with you. All right, we're going to do our normal format for this uh, podcast. I'll do the recap. Then we'll do our segments. We've got Roy of the episode... Uh, Roman line of the episode and Spencer's relationship advice of the episode, if he has any. But before that, Spencer, do you want to plug Mangum Reads? Uh, through Mangum Reads, we are continually pottering around, moving through the second book of the series, which has been, again, a delight so far. It is so much fun to talk about talk with people on that uh, in going through that book, particularly BJ and Sarah for having utterly polarly opposite views of it, which is always great. Uh, we're starting Spinning Silver, which is a wonderful book that was uh, won the Hugo, I think, what, what, the one or nominated Hugo last year, uh, in terms of doing a different take on fantasy through modern lens. And it was a delight to read and can be more fun to talk about. So I hope, hope everybody will listen. So I have a request for Mangum Reads. <clears throat> Please. Uh, you guys usually do, like, really good sci-fi fantasy. Sure. Could you do, like, a generic spy thriller? Just the most generic pulp possible? Yeah, like a Tom Clancy thing. Sure, yeah. I just think it would be hilarious listening to BJ and Sarah talk about it. <laughs> yes. Yes, that would be fun. To see two very different, separate grounds for criticism offered for that book, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> okay. All right, let's get in the recap. This is Season 2, Episode 10, the finale of Season 2. It's called This Is Not For Tears. So we start with a cold opening. Spencer, your question. Is Greg going to testify? Greg is testifying. <sighs> And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's probably how I would st start my testimony before Congress. Uh, for just let me make this as formal as humanly possible. So my three favorite quotes from this 
the entire two seasons. The one is closed loop system, obviously. Of course. The second one, Greg is about to deliver in this scene. So Greg gets sworn in, sits down, and Gil starts his line of questioning. Gil asks him if he's uh, Tom's executive assistant. Great line from Greg here. My second favorite line of the series. Uh, yes, if it is to be said. If it is to be said, so it be. So it is. <laughs> thus it is said, thus it is done, my son. So the, I, I believe it's the actor who plays Greg. His Instagram account like the tagline to it is, if it is to be said, so it be, so it is. <laughs> Just make that part of his reel for all, for all the further jobs he applies for. Fucking hilarious. Uh, Gil, are you all right? Greg, yes. I merely wish to respond in the affirmative fashion. Gil, you can speak to us normally. Greg, thank you, sir. So I shall. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, we cut off here, but from what we hear off camera, Greg probably rivals Tom when it comes to fucking up. Not as quite as bad. He doesn't know enough. But it's not good. Well, we knew, I mean, we knew this was going to be a disaster. I mean, he oh, can't yeah. even have a normal conversation. No, 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 no. He can't even, as we, discuss, as we see later, he really can't discuss the issue of his toenails effectively with other people, much less this with Congress. God, if he had just quoted Bob Marley. If he had just done that. <laughs> uh, we cut to Logan in the car with Hugo. He's watching Greg's testimony. Then ask Hugo about a list he's compiling. Uh, Hugo uh, uh, says if he adds Carolina, that would be a decent amount of leadership meat. So what we learned from that is that Logan is compiling, compiling a list of potential sacrifices, which he referenced in the last episode. Logan calls him a nasty bastard trying mm -hmm. to knife his boss. Hugo seems unaffected. Uh, Logan asks if Roman is safe. Hugo, we got him a doctor, a shrink, fresh clothes, everything he needs. Eh, I don't know mm -hmm. that that, like, you know what I'm saying? There's a human element to it, right? A hug would be great. Yeah, or just like a like someone in the family to talk to. Yeah, like your dad or Kendall or someone flying out to see how he is to be there to greet him. That would probably mean a hell of a lot more than fresh clothes do right now. Yeah, I mean, I kind of was put off by that because it felt like I mean, and it's a, this is typical for the family, but it just sounded like they were checking boxes. They weren't really there was no human connection to it. We're going to talk about Roman a lot, of course, this episode, but there's a lot of the family's reaction to him that really puts me off this episode. And a lot of him that legitimately impresses me with how far he has come, how far he's matured over the course of these two seasons. I completely agree. Great Roman episode. And it also gives me some suspicion that maybe we're setting up for Roman to take over. But anyway, we'll get into that. Yeah, we laughed about it a few episodes back, but over the last couple, it seems like a legitimate proposition in a way I never really entertained. Completely agree. Logan gets a call from a shareholder and is immediately pissed the guy is calling him directly. Spencer, have you ever had that moment um, at work where someone sends, maybe sends you an email and you see it and you're like, oh, fuck, I don't want to respond to that. And then they call you. And yeah. You're like, what the fuck are you doing calling me? I got your email. <laughs> it was such a relatable uh, response from Logan there for me. Absolutely. There have been so many situations where I'm like, okay, I'll respond to this in a minute. And then they immediately call me. It's like, you set the method of this conversation already. You set my means of response and gave me the opportunity to do so on my, on my own time. You don't get to change this now. Completely agree. And I'll tell you, the bugaboo of mine is when somebody sends you an email and then sends you like an instant message and says, can you go read my email? Yeah, fuck that. No, 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 yeah. no. You sent me an email. I'm a professional adult. I will check it and respond when I am able. You can't force this faster than I do. Completely agree. They park. Logan gets out of the car and starts talking to the shareholder. <clears throat> Interesting side of Logan here. Um, he's trying to butter the guy up. Mm -hmm. And it. And I don't know if it's just because 
we see Logan, you know, for who he really is, mm-hmm. but it seemed to me completely disingenuous. Like, yeah, it, that line, it, like, I hope you come to the party or something like that. I was like, ugh. It's interesting. We've seen him be able to rise to the occasion to do these kind of social events, but maybe there he needs a certain degree of prep that he doesn't have here. Because he's clearly caught off guard. He doesn't want to take this call, but he feels obliged to do so. Right. And so he kind of goes through the hackneyed little small talk moments that, like you said, they feel very forced and disingenuous. And clearly they have just no effect on this guy, in part because he was kind of doomed from the get-go. Yeah, absolutely. Not not an easy call, Logan. Not a good one. Um, Mm -hmm. The guy explains that uh, his group, uh, apparently they own some level of uh, equity in the company, wants to see heads roll. And he goes on to specifically say they want to see Logan. Uh, I thought it was interesting that Logan didn't really react here and just said, let me think. Yeah, it is interesting. Uh, And I think we're going to debate some theories by the end of this episode about how he chooses to react to this because... He doesn't respond with his usual anger. He doesn't respond with his usual aggression. He sits and ponders. Clearly, the wind's taken out of him. He's shocked by this. Yep. But he's not going with his usual default when people defy him. And that's interesting. Well, he built this empire from the ground up. He came from nothing. And, like, even how, like, you think about how people have talked to him about how people are responding to this crisis. Everyone still has faith that Logan is good. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that this is like the first time he's ever actually heard, Logan, you need to go. We don't want you. That's very true. That's, that's actually a very good call. We can even see that of when later on he kind of broaches it to everybody else, and they all, they're all immediate default response. You know, sick offense that they are, but other reasons no, too. Is, no. no, no, of course not. Not now. No, no, dear, no. That, you're right. That is probably all he's ever heard. He may have never been fully accepting in his mind that that could even be a possibility that people will be pondering. Mm-hmm. But he's being forced to confront it face on right now. Yeah, and Brian Cox acts it well because he sits down and he really just has this sort of thoughtful look on his face. Um, it's, it's then, really, he, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. It's really, it's really interesting to see him play out moments like this because we've seen him do it a few times before. Of where Logan comes across as a larger than life figure, like legitimately intimidating. But there's a few moments like this of where you really see him as an old, almost scared man. Yep. They're very interestingly humanizing. Yeah, it's 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 this moment when he knows that he might lose his company, and it's when um, he gets hijacked for some chicken later in the episode. <laughs> Hugo tells Logan that Greg might be talking himself onto Logan's list. I mean, no surprise here. I didn't think Greg would be good in front of Congress. Um, but, you know, whatever. I mean, I still root for Greg. Hey, he comes out of this episode well. He does. Scene ends with Logan sitting down and thinking, as we talked about, cut to the opening credits, and this is another Mark Malloyd episode. Uh-huh. He's, he's becoming the Sapochnik of this uh, of this series, Spencer. All the good episodes are Mark Malloyd episodes. Yeah, it's good to see Game of Thrones alums continue to go off and do good things. I, I don't expect to see some of them do much for the next, next couple of years, but Mike Malloyd has landed well and is doing great. Yeah. And he signed on to do uh, a bunch of the season three episodes, too, so that's good news. Season three releases summer or fall? You said fall. Yeah, uh, next like like, like s- s- August September something like that. But yeah, we'll do September. it. We'll do it on Magnum Talks TV, and we'll do it live. We'll do it week by week. This will be fun. <laughs> okay. And we are on the Roy's Mediterranean yacht. This I told you, Spencer. That was my <laughs> my teaser for you. We suspend the episode on the yacht. Okay, your teaser was legitimately useless and the most frustrating thing you've ever done in this program. But 
the yacht is impressive. And you actually told me, how much did this thing cost them to rent? It's like, it's a ridiculous amount. I, I, I don't know what that cost them, but okay. I know that it was the majority of the budget for the season, <laughs> which makes sense. Because, I mean, if you think about, like, it doesn't, there's no CGI, there's no animation. The the actors are re- not really well known, except for Brian Cox, mm-hmm. and they aren't, they aren't highly paid. So, and this is one of the biggest shows on HBO, so their budget goes into the scene. They travel a lot, right? Very true. Like every other episode, they're traveling somewhere. But I thought rolling out this yacht was particularly impressive. I, and this just shows my level of ignorance and coming from bumfuck Eastern North Carolina. I didn't know yachts got this big, Spencer. Oh, man. I really didn't know that. Like a single family yacht, I had no idea it would be this big. Like next year during the boat show in Fort Lauderdale. You get to tour all the yachts of the rich and famous for free as part of just going to the boat show. You want to come down and tour Steven Spielberg's yacht? Fuck yeah. Do you have to take your shoes off? Probably have to take your shoes off to watch your toenails. Sails out, nails out. Okay. Uh, Connor and Wyla arrive. They're the first one there. Uh, Wyla is unhappy about leaving the play. Makes sense. She mentions that she doesn't care about the reviews, which is a lie. Kind of a childish lie, too. And she says Mm -hmm. she will wait to read them. Connor says, well, he's got to read them because he has to figure out if he's financially ruined. Connor, really, <laughs> really out on a limb this episode. Connor tells Wyla to take off her shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of that segment. What would you have? Uh, yeah, I was actually jump to the next segment. So we have Tom agreeing with my previously expressed views on Venice, which I really appreciated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shiv and Tom arrive. Um, and oh. what is, how does Tom explain it? He's uh, like, it, it's like Venice, but it smells nice. I love it when I'm validated on things that you guys pissed on me for. But yes, Venice is a shithole city. Thank you, Tom. Glad to confirm. Damn. Nice shithole. Ooh, hot take. <laughs> Tom asks if the lady who gives him a, a water, I think it's a water with like cucumber in it. Yeah. Is the person. Uh-huh. Uh, what we learn is that apparently Shib has set up a three-way that's supposed to occur on their trip on this yacht. They, they, she has arranged for the magical unicorn to come and take them away. Tom seems borderline manic about it. Um, yeah. so he's kind of talking nervously. <clears throat> um, and then they get to like a staircase and it, there's like a weird looking like wire Christmas tree thing. Um, and Tom says, Ooh, is this Marsha's refit? And then she yeah, it's like her version of cutting off his ties. <laughs> I, I had to rewatch that like two times because I, I don't think my mind could process that that's actually what this is. This is her just spiteful maneuver upon leaving? Okay. Uh, I don't think she's left yet, but I do think that she took it upon herself to refit the yacht, which you can imagine. I mean, think about like this, uh, the summer home that Logan has. I imagine the yacht, as big as this one is, um, is a, a point of pride for him. And so it's no probably like a you know hit him where it hurts thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom asks if the threesome is a good idea with the family there. Questions what they are even doing. Good fucking question, Tom. Why are you guys going on a yacht right now? Mm-hmm. Um, Ships has close family and inflatables and mimosas and the CFO and general counsel. Oh, okay. Makes sense. <laughs> well, how, yeah, come on. How, how do you travel? Don't you always travel with your chief executive officer there with you? <laughs> yeah, no, I do not. Oh. Uh, Greg, Kendall, and Naomi. Oh, my gosh. Naomi arrives. Not a hero's welcome for Greg. <laughs> he doesn't get the Kindle treatment. No, no. Though he does have some interesting thoughts on how his testimony could have been better, as you previously referenced. <laughs> yeah. Um, Greg's rehashing what he should have done. <laughs> Great quote here from Greg. Oh, mm-hmm. Like, I, I just kept thinking about things I wish I said to the senators. Like, 
I almost wish I just started out with like, no woman, no cry. Like, what if I said, no woman, no cry to every question? Right. Or, or like, a volunteer's tribute. <laughs> I wish uh, I'd done both of those things. Okay. T- tell me. Tell, you, you have a lot more political experience than I do. If someone did that in front of Congress, what would be the news reporting on it the next day? Uh, that he made a mockery of the system. Yeah, either man makes mockery of system or man has stroke on national television. Right, yeah, it would it would not be good. Uh, but it might have been better than what Greg did. I don't know. They didn't show us enough of his testimony. We've said many times in the show that there are circumstances where someone could have legitimately thrown up on their conversation partner and done better than they, than they actually did. This may be one of those. Kendall asked Greg what he thinks of the yacht. Greg's like, it's nice. Or he's just like, oh, or something like that. Uh, and Kendall's like, dude, you need to be a little bit more impressed here than you are. Uh, but Greg doesn't. Uh, and he calls it a very nice ship. They get on the yacht and Kendall tells Greg to take his shoes off. This is what I referenced earlier, which Greg isn't excited about because apparently he has an unresolved toenail issue. Now, question for you, Spencer. Of course. If you're going on a yacht, even if you don't know that you have to take your shoes off, even if you don't know that that's a rule, you still got to fix the toenails, right? Because you're going to go swimming. Yeah, you know, it would, you would think for most normal people it would be part of at least an element of their thought process. But Greg is Greg. You can't <laughs> f- picture that factoring in at any point in his mind. Kendall gives him the sails out, nails out, bro. Um, Connor is talking to Wyla. Uh, he's looking at a tablet. He says, I'm a GIF now. I'm a meme. Uh, so the, the, the meme is Connor fist pumping after major historical events, which is actually really funny. It's like the Berlin Wall goes down, and you see that fist pump that he did at the congressional hearing. It also has totally become a meme, too, which is just really funny. <laughs> like in real life, yeah. Yeah. Connor then gets the reviews. Uh, he gets them in a batch from his PR person, starts to read them, and his face drops. Myla asks if he read, did you read a good one? Did you read a good one? And he does not speak. Not a good sign. Finally, he says they're a mixture, and Myla wants to hear a good one. And Connor starts scrolling. Scrolling, scrolling. Connor says, "Well, maybe we should just have fun." Wyla snatches the tablet out of his hand, reads a few lines, and chucks the tablet into the water. Yeah, and then has an interesting look on her face. What do you think is going through her head right now? It's is it a mix between I just act, I just threw a tablet over the boat, or just purely my hopes and dreams are burning before me? I think it's the latter. I don't think she goes yeah. with the tablet. Um, I think that she's my interpretation of how Wyla acts this entire episode, which by the way, I love Mad Wyla. This is this is very fun for me. Sure. Um, is that she's sacrificing her personal life to be with Connor f- for the gains in her professional life, which is the funds to be a playwright. Mm-hmm. And if she fails at the professional life, she will have sacrificed her personal life for no reason. Yeah. I, I also think too that part of her way of in some ways coping with her profession, uh, I don't think she's perfectly happy with it is the idea that this is a means by which I'm a playwright. A playwright is what I actually am. This is just what I'm doing now. Like, I'm, 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 I'm a waiter, but I'm really an actress kind of thing. And to see that hope and dream just utterly fall is just, no, this is my life. There is no, for, there is no beyond this. There's no plan beyond this. That's dead and gone. Yeah. No, I'm just a hooker. That's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roman arrives, and he does get the hero's welcome. After a fashion. Um, well, they all have these little stock lines to make fun of him. And I, you know, I go back and forth on this because we all know Roman is just a fucking wise ass. So it, it's reasonable to expect he'd want to joke about things. But on the other hand, it's like, 
Well, he went through something that is legitimately traumatizing. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't, if I'm being honest with myself, I don't know which side of the fence I would have landed on and how I talked to him when he got off the boat. It, it seems like our default in dealing with each other is first verify they're okay. Take their temperature. And then once you know what that is, you work off it. You don't default to the mockery. Because this is something that's outside any norm you've dealt with before. You can't assume how they're going to react. Right. First thing you check is them. Then you can go off, go off from there. If they just respond with a joke or laugh, whatever else, fine. Go that route. But you can't assume for something like this. And it comes across as, well, Roman legitimately shames them here in a way I don't think he's really ever done before. And it silences the crowd quickly. Yeah, maybe something like, hey, Rome, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Oh, okay, all right. They didn't rape you, did they? Like that, something like that. Perfectly you, good. You, yeah, exactly. But they don't do that. They go right to the mockery. Tom has the final line, just a very Tom line. You were staying to Four Seasons, right? So how did you escape? Did you, did you like build a glider out of a Caesar salad? <laughs> uh, Roman, uh, you know what? Um, it was actually fucking scary. And we thought that it might kill us. But yeah, <laughs> Caesar salad. Everybody gets quiet. Kendall and Shiv apologize. I think it's interesting that the Kendall and Shiv apologize because those three seem to be the closest of the the unit there. Mm-hmm. Roman, it's fine. It's fine. I'm tired. Whatever. It's funny. It, so he's just trying to, you know, all right. Sorry, guys. You, you're absolved. Uh, and then he has a great line. Carl almost shat in a bucket and I have it on my phone. So we will fully humiliate him mm-hmm. later. Roman then gets a well-deserved beer. Yeah. It, it's an interesting scene because they're all shocked because they don't, view Roman as a serious person. They don't view him as capable of having serious emotions. Very good point. And when he confronts them with, no, I was scared. It was rough. It's a dropping the... It's, it's, he's always kind of used this humor as like a defense mechanism of what he really is. And to see him drop that is just so shocking that there's nothing that they can say in response to it. They're all... F- they're not only, you know, shamed. I think they're legitimately flabbergasted to see this side of Roman out in the open... Probably for the first time, maybe any of them ever really seen it before. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and yeah, the, yeah, it's good because it's not just shame; it's surprise. Yeah, I like mm-hmm. that. Uh, cut to Kendall, Tom, Shib, and Roman. Kendall is in a, a pool. They have a, a mini pool on <laughs> one of the several. floors of this fucking thing. I'm sure they have several. Jesus Christ! There's the water outside. I don't understand. <laughs> um, uh, so then uh, Kendall says, um, or no, Roman says, "So go on. You haven't told me yet." How was DC? Kendall, um, what, the hearings? Uh, yeah, pretty fucking real. Roman, yeah, I watched. You did good. Kendall, okay, what? Go on. For, for like a crackhead moron? Roman, um, no. You did okay? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Ken nailed it. <laughs> Roman, Ken did great. It was Tom who farted in his shit. There's Roman. And that's the line, Spencer, that I gave you six months ago. <laughs> Or With whatever no context yeah, at all. Just, here's a here's a Roman line for you. Tom farted in his shit. I'm working that. I had to find a way to work that into a conversation at some point. Work it into a trial. I, I can make it happen. That has to be an ad lib line. I just can't imagine <laughs> someone wrote that. It's just too stupid. But it's really funny. Tom says a lot of people are saying that he was dead catting. Mm-hmm. Um, never a good sign when you're trying to defend yourself and you say a lot of people are saying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he said, like, he's the dead cat everyone was looking at. Uh, Roman correctly <laughs> Roman correctly guesses that Rhea is out. Roman asks, with Rhea out, is Kendall the guy? Kendall says, no. He suggests Roman. Kendall could be anybody. I mean, why is Greg here? Roman, I always ask that question. Funny line. <laughs> hey, Greg, 
This is Tom. Hey, Greg, you ready to step up? Greg, it's a fungus, they think. Benign fungus. <laughs> Tom says that's a great title for his memoir. It, yeah, and this is, you know, they're back into their usual banter for a second. And uh, Roman continues with a, bit of a gross, out, bit of gross out series of lines. Uh, which we can go into detail if we want. But Roman also here, again, shows a serious side to him. That his siblings don't have any emotional ability to respond to in an effective manner. Right, yeah. Roman says that when he was being held hostage, he wondered if he got through this, and they got through this, if they could actually talk to each other, develop a system to actually share feelings. Um, Kendall and Ship immediately begin mocking him. They don't entertain the question. Uh, the mocking is a little bit charming, but it's also like not what they should have been doing. But it, it did make me laugh. I, I, I love Roman's lines. They're just you know mocking him because he just says, "Do you want to talk to each other normally?" And they mock him roundly. And he, he's laughing. He's having fun, but he still says, "How am I the mature one here?" Good <laughs> yeah, question, Roman. Good question. <laughs> and then the helicopter arrives. It's yeah. Logan. I love that everyone else arrives on a boat. Logan, a helicopter. Uh, on an emotional gunship, as they put it. Yeah, and significantly here, no Marsha. Your girl is out. Oh, hurt. Uh, they all greet him. Logan immediately asks for Roman, Laird, and Carl to go talk about the deal. Yeah, he's got priorities here because, based on what he just heard, he needs the magic bullet and he needs it right now. Yeah, and as a reminder... Um, so the, the magic bullet or the deal that they're talking about is the one that Roman went to some Eastern European country to try to work out. And that is to secure uh, enough private equity to take the, the um, firm, Waystar Royco, private. So buy off all the shares and just go private. As we hear here, a single infusement of $10 billion, which they'll effectively match in their, from their own money. Yep. And that's how they do it. Uh Logan does at least lead with asking Roman if he's all right. Roman says it's fine. Apparently the ambassador took them out for a shitty lunch and wine after the fact. Funny uh, sort of description there. Logan asks about the money. Laird, well, the kid did great. Roman, yuck. <laughs> Laird is such a weirdo. He, he is. He, he's been legitimately trying to pump Roman up and compliment him several times even before we've gotten to this moment. But yeah, Roman's not responding well to it. Well, is he though? Because he keeps calling him a kid. It's yeah, it's that kind of condescending compliment of like, ah, oh, you know, that was for well you. done for someone like you. I'm amazed exactly. you pulled this off. That's you know, you were hitting above your level right there. Yeah, absolutely. They explain that Edward and his father have responsibility for the sovereign wealth money, so that would just be like the money of the king. But if Edward got sidelined by the president's, but Edward got sidelined by the president's daughter's husband. And that's what we saw. Basically, yeah. it was a power grab by the president's daughter's husband. And during that process, they figured out who Roman was. So they said, hey, what, what was he pitching? Pitch me. And apparently, uh, they said they wanted in. Logan starts asking if they all like it. Jamie is pushing really hard for it, which we figure oh, yeah. out later why. Logan seems happy. Roman then speaks up. Says that while they did say they wanted in, it's probably horseshit. So there were a lot of things going on, and they were flaky. Jamie immediately pushes back, says it would make sense. They would want to rebalance their portfolio with Western assets. Roman, well, sure, they said yes. And maybe it's real. Maybe. There's a 10 to 20% chance that, what, you make like $100 million here? It's very mm -hmm. exciting. But if we miss, we could be fucked. Because it gets out, we're looking at this kind of money. It's going to be politically horrible. If we fail, we lose the proxy vote, and we die. Very compelling argument from Roman here. He's, he's got a few over the course of this conversation. I, I even point out that when uh, Laird points out that, well, they're trying to diversify their investments, Roman hits him on that, which is yeah. hitting Laird at his heart right there. He says, 
that would be incredibly stupid. That they're going to diversify by dropping $10 billion in a single thing, rather than doing a thousand different places at the same time, how you actually diversify a portfolio? Wrong. Again, this is, Laird, this is like we've seen to everybody so far. Laird doesn't get that Roman is dropping the idiot routine. That he's dropping, in some ways, the facade of mockery. This mocking of the world kind of mentality. And showing some legitimate, smart, prepared intelligence right now. And he's really slow on the up, on uh, keeping up with that. And doesn't really have an effective response to it. No, that's a great point. I mean, I think that Laird just wasn't expecting to have to debate this issue with Roman. Yeah. I think if he was expecting to, maybe he would have done a little better. But Roman beats him on all cards here. Yeah, with Carl backing him up, which I was actually surprised about, too. Yeah, Logan does ask Carl, and Carl agrees with Roman, says he can't lead on this. Logan agrees, and boom, like that, Spencer, the deal is off. It, Jamie storms out, basically says they're fucked, mentions reviews by the DOJ, breaches of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, indicates someone may be going to jail, and Jamie's off the yacht. Yeah, this would be the, the, pretty much the argument that he could respond to Roman with if he'd you know been prepared to do it then, was that, yeah, it's a long shot. Yeah, it may not work, but this is kind of your only hope to avoid somebody going to jail or your, maybe even your company collapsing as a result of this. And, you know, that is also true. Doesn't mean it necessarily justifies this just shot-in-the-dark kind of chance that probably will just lie in his pockets and no one else's, but it does, it does paint what a horrible situation they're in. Yeah, I agree. And and uh, sorry if I confuse folks. I, I'm interchanging Jamie and Laird, but his name is Jamie Laird. So yeah. that's, that's why. Uh, Kendall walks up to Logan, asks how it went. Logan, I think maybe not the solution. Yeah. Logan then has a very uncharacteristic pity party. This is, I did not expect this, Spencer. Uh, here's what he says. Can't fucking believe it. Me. I never did anything, really. Good Catholic lad who couldn't take his undershirt off in front of his wife. His ex-wife, whatever the fuck she is. Me. All the rest behave like a pack of fucking stray dogs. No. What the hell is he doing? Like, really in his feelings here. Yeah, it's interesting. Because he previously, you know, kind of did a little bit of self-mockery. You know, you got to whip the donkey kind of thing when he was talking to the shareholder. But like you said, it came across as very disingenuous. Here, he just seems like he's legitimately pitying himself right now. Yeah, which is out of character. Uh, Kendall then brings up that Stewie is on Axios so they could talk to him. And Logan shuts that down. Immediately. Just completely. Yeah, for good reason. Cut to Roman. He's watching the family on an, and this is all caps in my notes, absolutely fucking awesome water slide. <laughs> that is an awesome water slide. Spencer, how much fun would we fucking have on this thing? Oh, my God. It's like the two stories high. Okay. So again, so one of us needs to make enough million dollars that we can rent this thing at probably a million dollars a day or a week or whatever it would cost so we can have that water slide. Unbelievable. That looks so fun. Shib asks if the deal is off. Roman confirms that it is. She then notions to Tom, telling Tom that the deal is off Tom. Good quote here. It's bad. It's really, really bad. <laughs> that might be line of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> Cut to Greg. He's drinking rosé while laying on the deck of a yacht after testifying before the Senate. Not Man, his favorite, what a though. change for Greg. Well, but it's not his favorite rosé. He's putting up with it. But, you know, it's good to know these things. I know. And <laughs> Kendall says, well, you have a favorite champagne now? And he's like, well, you can't help but notice. I mean, fair point. <laughs> Greg, has come, Greg has come up in the world. You know what this reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of like like if we were out at a bar and someone gave you a whiskey and you mm -hmm. tasted it and you were like, not my favorite. And your <laughs> like long-term friends are like, what? Oh, yeah. If I, if I run into some friends I haven't seen, <laughs> seen for a while from law school and we have that kind of moment, they're like, okay, so who's wearing your skin? 
because that's <laughs> not you. Yeah, I'll drink it, but it's not my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any Blantons that we could really just spice this party up with? Like, who is this person? <laughs> uh, shout out Whiskey on the Weekends, another pod we do. Mm. Logan is watching from on high. Sees Kindle with Naomi. Takes note of that. Connor comes up to him and asks Logan to use his media organization to give Wireless Play a good review. Logan says he doesn't like to lean on his people. I think that's bullshit. Obviously. I mean, Connor even calls him out here that that's obviously bullshit. Mm-hmm. And then Logan brings up the fact that Connor spent $500,000 on a fake Napoleon dick, which he did. Did we know it was fake beforehand? Uh, I don't know. Like the, the half-assed internet research I did before that episode indicated that most people think it's fake. Connor apparently didn't do that research. He just wanted to continue his various series of odd Napoleonic connections. And I think we're getting a run now that Connor's investments are not necessarily as solid as they may have once thought to be. Uh, I never thought they were solid, but he explains that he's got the campaign, he's got the play, he's got Australis, he's got all this stuff that he's spending money on. And he needs like a cool hundred mil. Yeah, what's a hundred million between friends and family? Logan says, yeah, we can talk. If you quit your campaign, mm. Connor immediately objects. And then you have a cutting line here from Logan. It's a horseshit pipe dream. Everyone thinks you're a joke and you're fucking embarrassing me. Oh. Yeah, that's tough. It, it's, it's of course true. He's never, never going to stand a chance. He's probably the object of mockery in a way you can't even fully accept. But this is kind of the only thing he's ever done for himself. Mm-hmm. And his father just said it was horseshit. And that he's embarrassing him. Yeah, that's, that's the that's the hardest line for me. Oh, the thing you never ever want to hear from your parents, right there. Because you can say, "Hey, man, this is a this is a pipe dream. It's not going to happen." But yeah. you know, I'm proud of you for trying. But that embarrassing me thing, it really cuts Connor. You can tell, and he's different the entire episode after this conversation. He's muted. Yeah, he, I mean, Connor's free, Connor's usually in the background a little bit, but he's at least engaged. After this, he's barely involved. He's inter- he's very much internalized from here on out. Yeah. Logan goes inside, tells everyone that he wants to do the best thing, the most decent thing, so tomorrow they'll get into it. Tells everyone to drink up, and they'll talk tomorrow. Very weird vibe he creates by this strategy. I, I, we're going to see a scene with Jerry later when she explains it, but yeah, it's very Stalin-esque. Yep. Cut to Frank asking Wyla about the play. She gives him the Roy House words, Fuck off! I like angry, drunk Wyla. I am a fan. It's fun, and... I don't think Frank was in any way intending anything other than just casual conversation here, but God, she shuts him down quick. She does, but I, I like Frank because he seems genuinely pissed that she said this to him. If you notice his expression, yeah. he's like, hey, fuck you. What's <laughs> a nice you question, you bitch. Come on. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Roman sits next to Jerry. This is the senior referencing. Um, he asks how she's feeling. What I think is interesting. Because again, I think Roman is a little bit changed here because yeah. he starts with how are you feeling? Not some quip, not some joke. Yeah. He just wants to know how she is. Yeah, pretty and she says, go pretty ahead. You would, just, you would have done a rude uh, come on line. It's just that's most of the way he started conversations interacting with her or done some kind of namby-pamby thing. Here, he's very direct and he's, you know, trying to engage her on an emotional level. There's a, an adult suddenly in front of us. When did that happen? I know, man. It's it's like, you know what this is like? It's like the election. It's like we all come thought on. Biden was dead. And then it turned on a fucking dime. And that's kind of what happened to Roman here, right? Because it's like, we thought Roman had no chance at this, but I don't know what like happened in his brain. But like now, like you mentioned earlier, it was really well put. He dropped the clown act. He's not doing that anymore. And he's engaging with people. He's being emotionally mature or at least more mature. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's talking seriously. 
Well, you know, to continue the metaphor, uh, Roman went to a third world country and had a hostage situation. Biden went to South Carolina. I think, you know, there are comparisons to be made. Oh, shit. <laughs> I'm from North Car- We're from North Carolina. It's in our blood to mock those bastards. Yeah, I agree with that. Fuck South Carolina. She says she's feeling sick and anxious. Uh, Roman wants to know why Logan is running it this way. We're all pals here. Jerry says he's running a show trial in an attempt to get everyone comfortable with the decisions. The decision, uh, and then quote, then all the hands, then all our hands are bathed in blood. Do you yeah. think that's true? I think it plays out perfectly. If that's if that's Logan's intention, I we see that scene in all of its horror, in all of its horror later on in the episode. But yeah, I think that's very much what he's going for here is to make that to essentially divide up the blame so they're all commiserate. That they there's no one that they can point the finger on for the the executioner later. They all played a role in it. She leans over, asks who he thinks it'll be. He loudly says Frank, which is just hilarious. I don't know, Spencer. I just love, I like it in real life too, but in, you know, uh, stories where one character or one person has an irrational hatred for the other. (laughs) I just find it so funny that every time anything comes up, Roman's like, yeah, fuck Frank. (laughs) It's going to be Frank. (laughs) Is, Is there any means, is there any way in this scenario that I can screw Frank over? There is. Let's go that way. Uh, Carl comes over, asks what they are hearing, and Roman again says Frank. And during this sequence, Roman starts putting out betting lines. On <laughs> he says four to one for Frank and six to one for Carl. Spencer, do you know what four to one means? You know what? I'm always a little bit iffy on the betting. Can you explain it to me? <laughs> no, I want you to give it. Tell me what you think it is. <sighs> I can't. Don't make me do this on, li- on live radio. <laughs> so four to one means you bet one to win four. Gotcha. So, twenty basically twenty five percent chance it's Frank. Okay, so you know honestly, I think those are probably pretty reasonable enough odds based on what they currently know right now. Frank, we know, is already kind of the traditional fall boy, and he's in a bigger position than Carl is. So, yeah, I think those are reasonable odds. Yeah, I would put. I think at this point, I'd put Tom at three to five. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, I mean, he's got to be high, right? The only thing that's hindering Tom is the selection is that he doesn't seem like he's high. He's high enough on the totem pole. But in terms of obvious fuck up and direct connection to the issue, he's got to be the main target. Completely agree. Scene ends with this exchange between Carl and Roman. This, this, this is horrible, Roman. We're real people, Roman. You are not. You claim to be real, but look at you. Look at you. Uh, which gets a chuckle out of Jerry. I think these two, these two are really hitting it off. Um, you know. Yeah, and they've I turned a corner. I think it's even helped that he's an adult now. It's just that previously she was always going to maintain a certain position of separate, of being separate and superior to him because he was too immature to actually take seriously on a relationship level. Now, they're practically enjoying a bit of a date on a yacht together. Yeah, and think about the difference in how he's joking now. Like, yeah. previously, he would joke to avoid any real conversation. Mm-hmm. Here, he had the real conversation he wanted to have, and this is just kind of fun. It's, it's yeah. a very different vibe from him. Right. And previously, also, it was the kind of, you know, the silly joke that a child makes that you just kind of laugh at. Oh, yeah, hey, look at that. That's nice. Now, he's legitimately responding to events in a way that's clever rather than just, you know, weird train of thought kind of insults the way he traditionally does. Yeah, completely agree. Cut to Naomi, who is doing what I'd be doing on this fucking yacht after I was on the water slide, and that's getting on a jet ski. Love jet skis. You like jet skis, Spencer? I like jet skis quite a bit. Uh, I learned the hard way once that they are not rough weather uh, vehicles. Oh, and no. Yeah, uh, I decided, I, I think it was in the Virgin Islands, and I, 
went up to a guy and said, hey, can I take that out? And he looked at me and said, hey, yeah, you probably don't want to. There's a bit of a storm coming in a little bit. It's going to be a little choppy. He's like, hey, just for a few minutes. It's like, okay, it's your balls. And I thought he just meant that I was being brave. Uh, what he actually meant is, these things don't have shocks. They go right into your crotch when you're going through, if, if there's any waves you're going over. Yeah, did you chip a tooth? <laughs> uh, it was rough. I came back pretty quick, and he just looked at me and said, now you understand what I meant. <laughs> but anyway, back to... Uh... Uh, Kendall and Naomi, they are engaging in a little flirting, which is kind of cute. and Everybody Like Darth Vader. Like it, The scene is so funny. It's like Darth Vader coming from the darkness. Logan <laughs> walks up with a black suit and a black hat. <laughs> <laughs> I have emerged. So, when were you going to ask? Kendall stutters that he did ask. Logan gives him no response. I'm sure that Kendall did send word that he was sending Naomi. Um, Kendall kind of knows where this is going immediately. I like her dad and I thought it could be a rough weekend and I know there is history, but she's kind of, she's kind of good one for me, dad. Logan. Mm -hmm. Right. I wasn't properly informed and I'm not sure we have enough provisions. Oh yeah. You don't have enough provisions. Yeah. There you go, Logan. <laughs> but I don't have enough provisions. Uh, Logan says they need privacy. Kendall tries to reassure him and Logan drops this line. I don't want you fucked on drugs and she's part of it. Isn't she? So here's my take on this, and I want I want to hear yours, Spencer. I think Logan's like 33% right here. Oh, yeah, probably. Because there's some truth to the fact that Naomi does do drugs as well, and they can kind of spiral together, which we've already seen. Yep. But that doesn't mean that two addicts can't be together in a healthy, healthy relationship. You can't take it off the board completely. They just have to be careful. Absolutely. I mean, honestly... And this is a weird thing to say. Kendall's addiction issues are the least of his problems that he has in his day-to-day -day life, which Naomi points out later. Uh, yep. She's one of the few legitimately happy and freeing things he has. As he tells his dad, she makes him happy in a way that nothing else does. I mean, Kendall always has a very muted affect. He always comes across as a person that is on the verge of depression, on the verge of almost like his own little black cloud that's following. Even back in season one, we were first dealing with him. When he's around her, he's just smiling. He's giddy. Like he said, it's like his little Simon and Garfunkel songs playing around him. If he's got some drugs attached to that, sure, that's an issue to address at a different point. But this is curing the biggest issue and should be continued. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah. Uh, and also, like, from the first scene where Kendall and Naomi were together, it seemed like they understood each other in a way that, like... Yeah. You don't really see with other characters on this show. So I, I was in, disappointed in Logan for this move, although not surprised. Mm -hmm. it, it's he. I mean, this is his second child he's now cut down to in, in a very fundamental way. Mm -hmm. He's hit them in a way that he knows will weaken them for this moment. And it's very intentional, particularly when it comes to, I don't. I don't know whether it's fully intentional with Connor. I don't think he cares enough to you know no, try to cut down Connor. But mm -hmm. for Kendall here... He's legitimately trying to just weaken him, to break him back to this will and what he sees for himself as a vulnerable moment. Completely agree. Cut to a very awkward scene here. Shib and Tom. Shib wants to start the threesome. I can't wait to hear you rant about this scene. Uh, Tom starts nervously talking about different scenarios about how this could go down. Uh, he finally lands on maybe the other woman could sit in the bathroom while he and Shib have sex. <laughs> With a closed door looking through the keyhole. Shib says he's trying to turn their threesome into a twosome. That is exactly what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Tom admits he's not into it. Uh, and Shib does very little to hide her disappointment here. And then, in a really cutthroat move, this is really mean. After this, you know, Tom knows he's disappointing her. 
Yes. But he's being honest. And she just goes, well, I need to talk to Logan anyway. She got up and left. Yeah. Shit move. Yeah. There's a lot of moments where the two of them needed to sit down and just have a conversation based on something that happened. Uh, what she could have properly done here is just, he's feeling in some ways vulnerable that he just expressed himself to her. That he just honest. I mean, Tom doesn't honestly speak with Shiv almost ever. It's kind of surprising he even did here. You almost expect him just to go along with it. Um, but he does. He tells her what he actually wants and what he's uncomfortable with. He even frames it as like a degree of internal vulnerability he doesn't think he can, could perform, even. He even makes it on him. And rather than making any effort to understand or reassure him or just talk with him, she even more doubles down putting it on him and just leaves. It's just... When they finally have an honest conversation about their relationship later in the episode, it is the most cathartic, cheer-worthy moment of this entire... Well, I'd say of this entire damn show, but we get one more before this episode's done. That is true. <clears throat> yeah, we get two of probably the most cathartic moments uh, of what we were waiting for as a fan base. Mm-hmm. Which is why when you started it by saying this was shit, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? But you knew you were going to... You were so intrigued me with talking that. with you. <laughs> Next morning, Logan wakes up in an unbelievably large room for a yacht. Again, Spencer, I know I'm podunk country. I had no conception that these boats existed. That, that it would be that big. Okay. I foreclose yachts as part of my job. I get to go on them when I do that. Do you want to just come? Just fly down. We'll take over the yacht. We'll go on the yacht that my bank just took over. We, yes. we can do this, man. We can make this Dude, happen. I, I absolutely would do that. You let me know. I got a bunch of leave at work. I got a uh, burn. We'll make this um, happen. Uh, <clears throat> well, then Logan, very telling moment here. He gets up. I don't know if you caught this, Spencer. I think on my first watch, I did not. But he calls someone and says, did she come? No. Yeah. Talking about Marsha here, right? Yeah. It, again, it's. It's a lot to unpack when it comes to Logan in this episode. I think it's best we do it at the end. But there's so many varied little moments here of where he's showing a lot of... We're seeing a lot of a very scared, nervous person who needs support right now. That, again, it's just surprising to see that out of Logan. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, th yeah, we, let's, let's hash our theories yes. out at the end. But this is, whatever my theory is, this is part of it. This yes. is an example. Um, cut to Kendall's scene, Naomi off. Tough scene here. She tries to get Kendall to come with her, and he won't. He, he does. I, I, I think it's, he loves me. He does. I <laughs> think it's just a wrong kind of love expression. This is Kendall. Yeah. Naomi, Ken, he loves the broken you. That's what he loves. Ooh. Well said, Naomi. Well said. That might be line of the episode. It's definitely one of the most true lines in the entire series. Because... That, you just encapsulated a relationship right there in a few words. Yep. And I so hope they're not done. That when she rides off in the sunset, they're not done. Because I need this. I need the two of them to work. We see Kendall do so much this episode, but I think he really... This relationship is legitimately good for him and needs to continue. Yeah, and you know what they do with the Kendall character, so there's no way it works out. Oh, shut up. Stop it. <laughs> they all meet for breakfast. Another episode with a Roy family breakfast scene. It's an astonishing number of breakfast scenes. Mm -hmm. Does this family only eat buffet breakfast? Uh, tell me, if you were rich, if you could arrange for any meal you wanted, would you not arrange for buffet breakfast available at all hours? Uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm taco <laughs> bad, though. I, I'd probably have breakfast tacos. You've seen me go oh, yeah. breakfast tacos before. Um, they all meet for breakfast. Yeah, because we went to Dallas, and you saw me eat breakfast tacos every morning. It, it was impressive, yes. 
<laughs> they, um, Logan says they'll have a swim and a relax, which is a weird phrase, and then they'll talk. Roman points out he probably won't be able to relax. <laughs> Very mm-hmm. fair. Uh, and the conversation winds up um, being about what Logan is thinking. Logan finally says he proposes the blood sacrifice be himself. And everyone balks at the idea. The question, very, I'm very interested in your thoughts here. Mm-hmm. Considering what we see at the end of the episode, do you think Logan was being honest here? I think yes. Yeah. I think he actually yes. Um, but he needed to see how it would play out in their minds. I, I've got a theory about what Logan's long-term plan is here that I'll air once we get done, but I don't think this was meant to be necessarily tongue-in-cheek. I think he was testing the room with this, right? Yes, completely agree. I think he, if they had said yes, I think he would have went with it. Hmm. But I mean, <clears throat> Which I didn't expect in the moment. But yeah. things that happened later in the episode, that's what got me there. I don't think their reaction is illegitimate to this, that it's a massive kind of maneuver, which could also serve to destabilize their base. It is a hell of a risk, and it's losing in some ways what is their strongest line of support. As controversial as he is, he is the company. And to lose him right now could... It's a hell of a gamble that it's going to actually resolve anything. Um, And so they're all nervous about it. It's too much. It's too big. And uh, he works off that right now in terms of continuing the conversation. Yep, absolutely right. Um, Kendall then points out that when people find out Rhea isn't coming in, they'll need stability. So this is Kendall balking at the idea of it being Logan. It's not a bad point. Mm-hmm. What Kendall doesn't know is that the shareholders are already clamoring for Logan to leave. Logan too proud to tell Kendall that, I'm sure. Yeah, only Logan knows that. That's a key, that's a key detail right now. Um, Logan agrees rather quickly and says they need one skull. One meaningful skull. So apparently to hell with the swim and the relax. They're getting into it now. And then an extremely awkward conversation ensues. Spencer, I've been going back and forth about how to recap this. I'm going to do my best, but it's a tough scene to recap because there's so much dialogue. I don't want to just read the script. So I'm going to do my best here. But if it gets a little long-winded, I apologize in advance. Kendall suggests Jerry. Logan says Jerry is loyal. Roman quickly agrees, moves to Frank, which is the most predictable thing. Frank says he can see it, but he makes the point, very astute point here. He's like, well, me voting against you, you know, in the, in the vote of no confidence kind of makes me a less compelling case. It's like an easy person to throw under the bus, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a person of consequence. Frank then suggests Carl. Carl then redirects to Jerry, and then this exchange exudes. Um, uh, Carl, well, my thing, I guess, is that if uh, Rhea is no more, uh, we're back to having a, well, we're back to Jerry as the successor. So that fattens her up for the kill, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Jerry, I guess everybody always knew I was just a name on a piece of paper, right? Carl, oh, I think you were more than that, Jerry. I think that's exactly what... Plus, hang on. Plus, you know the old copybook is a bit blotty. Expense accounts, daughter's first class on the company coin. Right, Carl. <laughs> and this is a great line from Jerry here. I just went to the sports massage. I had no idea it was that sort of establishment. <laughs> so... Uh, it's a funny exchange. It's clearly very charged. It also introduces something that I did not know. Uh, we did not know that Jerry was a little loose with the expense accounts. Uh, I'm pulling really... a Spencer there. Pulling a Spencer. Oh, fuck off. Uh, I, <laughs> I'm of the view that that is such a hypocritical thing to call her out on in this company that I can't imagine a single person there hasn't been a bit loose when it came to the expense accounts. Yeah, that's fair. And she's clearly 
is so in the circle of trust. It's not even close. Yeah. Uh, Connor then speaks up and says, Jerry is theoretically perfect. So at this point, the sharks are circling for Jerry and here comes Roman. No, that's bullshit. I disagree. No. Logan, why? Why do I disagree? Because that's my opinion. Yes, but your reasoning. Seriously, Jerry? To pay for cruises? We, we, we take out a senior woman? Haven't we, you know, getting here, killed enough women already? <laughs> I mean, I think the obvious choice is, and I hate to say it because he's such a swell guy, Tom. Brilliantly played by Roman right there. Brilliantly Great. played. Absolutely. Completely redirected. Because, like I said, the sharks were circling for Jerry. Everybody was kind of lining up that it, could mm -hmm. be, it should be Jerry. And he, in like two sentences, stops progress and moves it to what we both believe is the most logical person, Tom. And that's when things continue to get a little bit more uh, uncomfortable. And he does it in character, too, of where yep. it doesn't come across in any way surprising. No one focuses on, well, why is he doing this? He grounds it in a legitimately very good argument that, yep, <laughs> you're going to take out a senior woman in the company right now for this, on this issue? How is that going to look? While also making it very sound very Romany in terms of how he's presenting it. Yeah, it's a really good point because it, 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 you know, it's something that Shib claims to Tom she was trying to do, which I don't think she was. Mm -hmm. It's he was take he was trying to hide the bias because we yes. know he's biased. He has feelings for Jerry, but he hit it really well. That's a good point. And it's something that Shiv doesn't do here, which she could have done if she was actually pretending to be on Tom's side, which, you know, she actually isn't. But she should take a lesson from Roman here about how to cover, how to protect somebody. Mm -hmm. And when Roman does pitch Tom, the camera cuts to Shiv, and she has this sort of dark, knowing look on her face. I feel like she always knew it was going to get to Tom. I mean, she knew, she knew that well before this. She knew mm -hmm. that the moment Tom got this position, his job was to be the fall guy. She yep. knew when she was going to come, when she became CEO that she was going to put him in a place or was going to know he was in a place where he would be the easiest thing to cut off. The level of investment that she's had in her husband has been minuscule at best for a long time. Tom points out that he's been a loyal servant, and in comes Kendall. <clears throat> yeah, you know if um, if this is uh, just laboratory time, human emotions extracted. Tom, I fucking love you, dude, but you shat the bed over Mo Lester. Mm-hmm. Ooh, um, Tom, but I was sent in there as the beating, <clears throat> as the beating, as the beating, fucking beating man. I took the beating. Really struggling with his words here. Kendall. Term is whipping boy, but you know, nice try. He was trying to get there. Kendall, you got suckered in by Eva's. I answered the questions. You don't answer the questions. You don't answer the questions. Okay, that's like rule one. I'm not beating up on you here. I'm just saying he got a win off you and you're kind of the face of this and I don't know. Great point by Kendall here. He did get fucking demolished by Evis. I agree that I think they probably prepped him reasonably. I just think that Tom doesn't have the actual skills to yeah. be successful in that situation. I don't think that I mean, they would have no reason to set up a fall guy right there if they think they can mm -hmm. get away from this. I mean, even a fall guy still discredits your company. If there is still someone to blame other than somebody that's dead, that's still you know mud on your face now. They don't want to have somebody burn because that's going to still blow back on them and affect them to some degree. So... Right. I don't think they in any way intended Tom to fall here. I think they're of anybody, they're okay with it more than other people. But I don't think they wanted him to mess up on live television. Well, no. I mean, we got, because we, we saw the back room while he was yeah. testifying. They were surprised and, and frustrated. Um, Tom asked if anyone is going to come to his defense. Cueing Shib. And Shib does speak up. But, and this is really heartbreaking, to say that Tom works. Yeah. Even Tom is flabbergasted by this. Yeah. Like he's known that 
He's known what Shiv is for a while. But here, now, at this moment, to see her just so openly and casually just toss him under the bus, he's caught off guard. He has no... He can't process this amount of disloyalty. I was stunned, too. <clears throat> I mean, I, I know Shib is a terrible wife, but I, I didn't think she'd be openly for Tom. That that was that was wild. And it was wild to the point that if I was one of the other kids, I might have said something. Like, I might have been like, wait, wait a second, Shib. It's your husband. Like, let's let the rest of us talk about it. Like, you don't need to be advocating for your husband's head on a spike. Yeah, it's kind of only Jerry that even kind of jumps in a little bit once Tom throws it back on Shib. It's just like... Really only like Jerry's defending Tom, which I never expected that scenario would kind of happen for a second. Exactly. So Tom flips out, which he should have, and he says, maybe it should be you, Ship. And Ship says, well, give me a reason why that works. And Tom says, I don't know. I don't know. Like, he's just completely, uh, yeah. he's, he's at an 11 here. Jerry comes in and says, well, Tom, I got a few points for you. How about witness tampering or the fact that she was going to take over? And Ship gives her a fucking cutting look. She is yeah. really angry. Uh, Logan asks if Tom works. He says, very, he kind of cuts the conversation off and goes, does Tom work? And Kendall points out that Tom might not be a big enough skull. Yeah. Roman says it could be Tom with some Greg Sprinkles. I love some Greg Sprinkles. <laughs> Greg freaks out, obviously. Says, well, maybe it could be you. And Roman says, okay, give me the pitch. Greg, well, you're widely known as a horrible person. <laughs> <laughs> Compelling argument, Greg. Compelling Greg argument. So Greg came up with a, an argument much faster than Tom did. Because yeah. with Shib, he couldn't say anything. But with, with Roman, he's, well, you're widely known as a horrible person. Then Connor comes in. And, and we might want to point out that Connor has been drinking a bottle of Burgundy mm -hmm. since he first sat down at the breakfast table. Um. A move that even Wyla questioned. So mm -hmm. he started drinking at like 8.30 or whatever it is. Connor says it could be him. He could throw himself over the side. Shib laughs. Carl says, didn't see that coming. <laughs> then Connor tries to come up with the pitch. Look, okay, okay. You say, you, you say, uh, in Greece, like what? Like, so like old Richelieu. I think I said that right. Yeah. Oh, uh, skulking around in the background, pulling the strings all these years. Who knew? The malign influencer finally rid of. So a lot there. <laughs> and he, gr he starts it with and grounds it with in exchange for a little payout. A sweet, sweet golden parachute to be tossed in the volcano. Yep. So he's still worried about his finances. And Logan <laughs> thanks Connor and says it was kind of him. Mm -hmm. And Logan gets up. He says they have, an, they have half an idea and they'll finish talking later. <sighs> Just a tough way to run meetings, man. Tough way. Because you leave everybody. Everyone's anxious when they come in and anxious yeah. when they come out. So what's the point of the meeting? That. That is the goal. The goal here is to make them all on edge and willing to shoot each other so that in some ways you don't have to. They've done it for you. Yeah. And that's just a shit thing to be doing. But that's Logan. <laughs> Logan's a shit person. I think we've confirmed that by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, um, Kendall is working out. Shout out to Kendall. And again, I'm a broken record here. I'm going to go down to Florida. I'm going to see these yachts you're telling me about. Mm -hmm. Astonished that there was a gym on this fucking thing. <laughs> it's a float. Oh. It's, it's your own floating hotel. Wow, it's wild. Um, Logan asks Kendall if they are okay. Logan claims he told Naomi she could stay. I don't believe that. Because uh, he specifically no. told Kendall she couldn't. Obviously. He's, I, I have no idea how he even thinks he can backtrack it here other than he's just actively throughout this, from this point forward, even before, doing everything possible to antagonize Kendall. Yeah, I mean, I think also part of it is like, one thing I've noticed in really, really, really rich people mm -hmm. is that they have so many yes men around them that they tell lies 
And they just expect everyone to believe it, no matter how preposterous it is. Because yeah. I imagine that with Kindle, he's told this type of lie probably 47,000 times. Yeah. And he's, and he's always gotten away with it. Yeah, he's enough of a narcissist that he's just working under the assumption that his view of the world in any given moment will be followed. Yeah, Logan then brings back up Stewie. He says, can we talk to Stewie? Kendall says, yeah, we can, but it might be humiliating. Um, and from what we know of Stewie, that's a very fucking good guess, right? <laughs> Even if Stewie accepted, he was not going to let them come out of this claim. Logan, yeah, sure. But what I ought to do, I don't want to do. Hmm. Hell of a line. I nominate hmm. that for line of the episode. Yeah. Tom and Shib are riding on a boat to find a cove, and Tom is being fussy as all get out about what cove they, they're on. He think he said he, he refused one of them because he saw a sea urchin. Okay, can't lie that. It's, you know, spiny. <laughs> uh, and I got to tell you, Spencer, um, uh, something the audience may not know. I think you know. I may have told you before. My father was a, uh, a wildlife officer here. Mm-hmm. Get what we call a game warden. It's the basically the police of hunting and boating. Sure. And the way that they are sitting on this boat is very, very dangerous. Oh, yeah. They would not be allowed. They'd be stopped if a game warden saw that. It is tilted high because they're, they're, they're breaking wake. So the, the boat is up at an angle. And they are in the back seated. If they hit a single bump, they're, they're going to fall right into that motor. I mm-hmm. was very uncomfortable with this. My father saw it. He would give them a ticket immediately. <laughs> If only he'd been there, because I yeah, th- th- what they were doing, I almost was almost uncomfortable that they showed it on television. It's like, oh, that that could only end, end, end with somebody getting severely hurt. Yeah, it, I'm glad you agree with me here because I was like, they did this to the actors. Like the actors are really in that situation. Like they shouldn't have been in that situation. It's actually dangerous for the actors. But anyway, I mean, be- best case scenario, they go off the boat. Worst case scenario, they go off the boat into something that kills them. Yeah, into the into the motor. I mean, that's they were angled toward it. But anyway, cut to Logan and Kendall. They sit down at the table with Stewie. Uh, boss move from Stewie here. He already ate. Of course he did. Of course he's going to start that way. He's in power here. Logan lays out the deal. Three board seats, including Ken's. So Ken's out. Again, again, the amount of pissing he does on Kendall this episode is amazing. You get a codified say in the appointment of our next CEO. We remove our poison pill, conduct a strategic review on terms co-set with you, discuss all our litigation on the proxy battle, spin-off cruises. Says, no, I'm not, there's there's no counteroffer here. This is the offer, and don't insult me with a counter. And Stewie says, it doesn't work for us. And he goes, what are you talking about? It's got to work for you. You have to at least take it back to Sandy. Stewie, it does not work for us. Kendall attempts to cuss him out, and Stewie interrupts him. Dude, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. You can threaten to stuff a million severed dicks into my ball bag, but the actual fact is we're persuading more and more shareholders every day that we offer them just a slightly better chance for them to make a little bit more money on their fucking dollar. And that's all that this is. Mm-hmm. Whoa. That's a He just fucking summed up. He just fucking summed up the American economy in like 20 seconds. Oh, yeah. This is very similar to how people respond to Roman this episode of where... When a jokester, when a person that's consistently not serious, that is a bit of a wastrel, suddenly sobers up and just lays a line like that, it just silences a room. Because Stewie's all, we, we know Stewie's smart. We know he's incapable. But he's always just been kind of sort of jokey, never sure how, how much he's actually involved in the conversation. With this line, we're just seeing a man finally reveal himself as, no, 
this is pure hard numbers, and there's nothing you can do to save yourself right now. Yep. And that's devastating. We offer them just a slightly better chance for them to make a little bit more money on their fucking dollar, and that's all that this is. Wow, so good. It's like yeah. a line from, like, Wall Street. Yeah, this is, yeah, as you said, this is capitalism summarized right there. Well put. Cut back to Shiv and Tom. Really tough scene here. Um, this is a cheer moment for you, though, right? I mean, it is a t- very tough scene. It's a very rough thing to watch. But at the same time, it's been such a long time coming that, yeah, I'm cheering because this has been needing to happen for ages. Okay, I'm actually going to do the dialogue here because I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Tom is clearly frustrated with Shib. She says she needs to appear to be an honest broker in order to save him, which Tom isn't buying, which me as the viewer is not buying either. And he says he got shitty advice before the hearing. Shib says uh, she doesn't know about that. Sidebar, I don't either. Mm-hmm. I think you probably got solid advice, as we discussed before. Then the conversation gets very real. Here we go, Shib. I won't let anything happen to you. Tom, you told me you told me you wanted an open relationship on our fucking wedding night, which, oh my God, Spencer, that is rough. Mm-hmm. She, so you've been stewing on that. Well, yes, I have been stewing on that. I have been stewing on that, actually. I'm not a hippie, Shiv. I don't want stuff a dildo up my, I don't want, I don't want to do threesomes. She's okay. On our wedding night, bang, Shanghai into a open borders, free fuck trade deal. It's just an idea. Well, that's the biggie to throw at the altar. You know, I do, I do, but maybe also demand to gobble the odd side dick. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's definitely one of the funniest lines of the episode. Uh, Ship questions it, gobble the odd side dick. Tom goes back in hard on her. I don't think it was cool what you did. I just think, you know, I think a lot of the time, if I think about it, I think a lot of the time I'm really pretty unhappy. And Shib then turns and goes, oh, we might be having a conversation I wasn't expecting. Um, and I've had that with in relationships where, like, sure. you're talking and then the person says something like that and you go, whoa, hold on. This is this is taking a turn that I'm yeah. not ready for. Yeah. I, I really realized it, but we really do have a lot of these moments of someone not taking another character seriously and then just mm-hmm. suddenly being silenced as they drop pretenses and behave like a serious adult for a change. And that's a, kind we've of had a lot of those moments. Episode. Yeah, that's kind of the theme of this episode. Everyone is kind of getting real. Mm-hmm. And I know that's kind of like a like a uh, trite phrase, but like here I think that there's some there's levity to it because a lot of these characters are just saying, okay, I, I'm done with the facade, I want to actually have an honest conversation. And that's really what you kind of want in a finale for a show like this, right? Because you start to get some resolution. And particularly for Tom, we've seen him in some ways put on this facade of just being overjoyed that he's even in the room. You know, content to be wealthy, content to be millionaire. Sorry about the phone. Um, And just putting on a happy face. But we've pondered for a while now that that was hiding a lot of unhappiness. And here he's just confessing to it that he really just doesn't like his life and is really kind of pondering what he needs to do with that. And she says, what are you saying? And that's the indication that she understands that this has taken a turn. That's It's not a normal fight. This is something bigger. Tom, I don't know. I love you. I do. And here is a doozy of a line, Spencer. Mm-hmm. I just, uh, I wonder, I wonder if the sad I'd be without you would be less than the sad I get from being with you. That is a, it's a very powerful line. And this is again why I'm cheering. It's not because it's happy in any sense of the word, but it is profoundly cathartic in the sense that this needed to happen for anything positive to happen with these characters. The the fact that they were continuing to operate the relationship as they were was never going to be good for either of them. 
And so this moment, horrendous as it is between two people, is one of the only ways that they get free of this. Whether it be finding a way to make it work together, I strongly doubt that's going to happen. Or just realizing that they need to be apart. So a couple things here. One is I, when I first saw this, I just had like a, an intense emotional reaction thinking, God, if someone ever said this to me, I would feel fucking under the fucking ground. I mean, I would feel awful, but also I think it's another illustration of shit being selfish, right? Because this is Tom admitting that me staying in the, in this relationship is worse than if I was out of it. And what she should have done is say, okay, Tom, if you feel that way, we have to split because I, and the, I want you to be happy more than anything. She takes the other way. She takes the selfish way. She says, okay, well, I, I'll, I'm sorry. I'll talk to Logan. I'll fix this. He just told you that being with you makes him more, more unhappy than being without you. You should let him go. Mm-hmm. Or at least talk to him enough to, pro- to help him process that. Because when somebody says a line like that, they may not even have a full wraparound of how they feel. Because that's just a hell of a shattering kind of line. It's not a moment of, okay, well, let me go immediately and go fix this. That's not how you respond. No, not at all. Because it, it may be the fact that he's just trying to break up with you, but he can't do it. Yeah. Anyway, she takes the uh, the other route, and she says she'll talk to Logan. And then we cut to Spencer. No, uh, segment Tom I'm gonna call. will talk to Logan. <laughs> yeah, Tom says he'll talk to Logan. Cut to a segment I'm going to call The Revenge of Tom Wanskans. Um, Tom and Ship get back on the yacht. Tom does attempt to take Ship's hand as she walks off, and she doesn't take it. And Miss Spencer is a top three scene for me in the show all time. It's Logan, incredible. Logan is sitting down to eat. I, I believe he's eating some bone-in chicken because he didn't get to eat with Stewie, right? Mm-hmm. And it, uh, Tom walks up, shades on, sits down, looks at Logan, and Spencer, to me, Logan looks shook. He's like, Tom? And Tom doesn't say anything. He's just staring at him. Right Tom the then takes the shades off. It looks like he's going to talk. He stays quiet, picks up Logan's chicken, takes e- eats all of it off the bone, puts it back. <laughs> Logan says, the fuck was that? <laughs> Tom, thanks, Logan. Thanks for the chicken. Tom motherfucking Wamsgans then gets up and leaves the table. Fucking hell of a scene, Spencer. I didn't think he had it in him. That is a power move that I could never even attempt to do. But Tom pulls it off incredibly. Fucking amazing. Tom motherfucking Wamsgans. That was a, I was a fucking cheering, standing up at that scene. Logan then comes up to Ship. What the fuck was that? He ate my fucking chicken. (laughs) Ship, I don't know, Dad. I think the tension it's getting to people. Logan, he ate my fucking chicken. So what's next? Stick his cock in my potato salad? (laughs) I love how legitimately flabbergasted Logan is by this. What the fuck was that? Yeah. He has no way of understanding. He can't understand this. It's just so outside the realm of anything he's experienced before. Particularly with Tom. Well, it blew everybody else away, too, because, like, Carl and, and Frank were sitting down to eat as well. And they were like, what the fuck is he doing? Doing the most oh boss God. move in the history of this show. I just hope in my life I get to see a scene like that in real life. Where somebody <laughs> just comes up and just takes food off the plate, eats it. Thanks for the fucking chicken. Oh, so fucking funny. Uh, Shib asks uh, Logan if he's wavering. This is a scene that I think is very telling. Mm-hmm. Logan says, Tom, Greg, Jerry. Says he'd take care of Tom, but wants to know if he'd flip if there was prison time. Shib, with a telling line here, says, what about what we discussed? Logan, Ken works. He was across the whole thing. 
It hurts, but it plays, obviously. Shiv has obviously gotten in Logan's ear and said, "Logan, uh, Kendall needs to be the guy. Yeah. He needs to be the blood sacrifice. I imagine it happened that night of yeah. the, the the final scene of the last episode, right? I picture her. I picture them discussing it right after that. Right after that conversation ended. Yep, yeah. me too. Mm-hmm. Um, Shib then is now looking very distressed. She says, "I think that Tom doesn't deserve it, and it wouldn't work for the rest of the world." I don't, Logan. So, what do you think, Shib? It's the sort of tough choice people need to be able to make. People who would be very senior people. Shib, I can't choose, Dad. Logan, no. Shib, just a, not Tom. Just not Tom. Please for me. So there's that moment. And I think it, it, it it's something she was not willing to do before that scene on the beach, right? Mm-hmm. Where she actually just gets real and she goes, it can't be Tom. Do it for me. Yeah. And it's one of those moments, too, of where her saying this is such a concession of her dream. Because Logan just set it up for her that this is the kind of moment where tough choices have to be made by people who want to be senior people. And she says, I can't. And that's an interestingly powerful moment because he just kind of set up that you need to be willing and able to do this if you want to be able to be able to be considered for this position. And she said no. And I don't know what to make of that fully. Because I... I didn't expect Shiv to have this conversation. I don't think it's necessarily for Tom. I think it's still somewhat about her. Um, But it's still interesting. I didn't picture her doing this right now. So I have a theory. So we've heard before uh, references to the fact that Shiv was in a really rough spot when she met Tom. Mm -hmm. And I theorize that Tom, as much as she beats him up and is not fair to him, is a stabilizing force in her life in a way that maybe is, is more profound than we would expect. And the threat of losing him makes her drop the veneer completely. She's even willing to say, I, I can't like, to your point, I'm not really able to be like a senior person in this company because I can't lose Tom. I just can't, I can't lose him. So my, uh, the, the crux of this theory here is that if we go into season three and she does lose Tom, I think we're going to see a ship that just completely spirals. Like, the Kindle-esque. It's interesting you mention that, because we've heard before her say that he is what holds her together. And I don't yep. think I we really ever... I've just kind of assumed that was just something that she told him, that maybe mm-hmm. had a little truth to it, but we've never seen enough to really get it. You're right. If the two of them break up, we may see a different side of Shiv that may have existed in the past, but has certainly not been part of our present. Yeah, I think it's going to get really, uh, really dark. And I do think she's going to lose him because, um, I mean, he's just, I mean, he's eating Glogan's chicken, for God's sakes. The man's off the rails. <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's an I'm done kind of moment. Yeah. Well, Logan takes in what Ship says, and we cue the dramatic music. And a really interesting shot here. I don't know. I think for most people it might be a throwaway. For me it was not. Um, of, the, of some local fishermen mm-hmm. uh, picking up nets on a skiff. When this massive fucking yacht comes by, and the contrast is just striking. It is. It is. The cinematography on the show, we don't really talk about it as much, really, but they do some very nice moments. Yeah, that's one of them. We see Ship talking to Tom, presumably telling him he's in the clear, and then Ship goes up to Kendall and motions for him to go talk to Logan. Kendall seems to know what this means. He kind of, his face drops. Now, here's what happened here, Spencer. Ship to- chose Tom over Kendall. Does that surprise you? I 
No. No, it doesn't. Interesting. Okay. Uh, because in some ways, I think Tom would be a black eye to her. That she's married to him. She's married to the guy with two assholes. And that in some ways, if he goes down or the two of them break up, that's on her to a certain degree. And that both from a certain measure of selfishness there and also just a certain measure of I need to make my relationship work, it makes Kendall, as much as whatever their relationship is, more disposable to her. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I was a little surprised um, because we have seen a couple moments like when, when Kendall hugged Shib and said, just take care of me. Or when they were down, I, I can't remember where they were visiting. I think it was their parents or their mother's house. And they went down to like the dock or something. And they were all kind of laughing. Mm -hmm. We've seen moments of tenderness between Shib and Kendall. And I've just seen so much uh, just dismissiveness uh, toward Tom from Shib. I just didn't expect her to make this move. Now, you know, I think what they want us to understand in this narrative is that, yeah, Shib has this veneer of being tough, not caring about anything. Mm-hmm. But to my theory before, if if Tom goes, the whole house of cards comes falling down kind of thing. That's very possible. And uh, it's very true. We've had some very tender moments between Shiv and Ken. Like that scene of when Ken went in for a, a hug. Remember where that was, Shiv? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was referencing, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I, I don't even mean like on the boat, but when they're in the office together, when he tells her it's not going to be me. Yeah, no, that's what I, that's what I meant. Remember, because he okay. says, it, it, you know, take care of me. That's right. That's right. I remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they've had some legitimately tender moments when they're not just joking around with it the way they often do. Right. But, yeah, I mean, it may be that, as, like you said, that Tom is just that important to how she views herself and what she thinks she needs. And that may well be true. But it just makes it all the more tragic. Just, there's no coming back from this burned bridge. I don't know if Kim knows that she did it. Probably doesn't. But she certainly does that she certainly knows that she's willing to do it. Oh, well, yeah. By the time we get to the end of this episode, everything fucking changes. But anyway, yeah. um, Kendall walks into the room with Logan. Logan says, Greg and Tom don't add up and they won't accept him, meaning Logan. Mm -hmm. Logan, you know, Marsha and I used to read to each other. I'd read her history. You know, Spegler given the big boys. Mm -hmm. The Incas in times of terrible crisis would sacrifice a child to the sun. I said to tell her they were a bunch of fucking savages. Her thing was that, could you possibly kill what you love so much that it would make the sun rise again? She said that. Okay. I miss her. Ooh. Logan just saying he's... It, it, but it's interesting though, right? Because this is a scene where he is telling Kendall, like, you're being sacrificed. And being sacrificed to the point that he probably is going to go to prison. Yeah, almost certainly. And he starts it about himself. He mm -hmm. starts it about how much he misses his wife that he alienated because he's a prick. Yeah, he's trying to... That is the fucking worst. I, I don't think he's like lying about his feelings. I think he no, no, no. does on Jimmy Phyllis. But the fact that he's essentially trying to generate pity in another person for him when he's trying to send that person down the river is just the definition of just his self-absorbed narcissism right there. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I was so put off that he was talking about himself here. But Kendall says he gets it. Logan points out that he did so well on the hearings. But you, Kendall, did so well on the hearings that Kendall's now the face. So this is like a, this is such dumb logic. It's like, yeah, you were the only one that didn't shit the bed in the Senate hearings. So therefore, we have to sacrifice you. Like, what the fuck? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. 
Logan also says he trusts him in case it turns and gets nasty. Now, why would he trust Kendall if it turns and get nasty? Wouldn't Kendall be the last person he trusts? Kendall, two times in this series, has tried to kill his father. Well, and I say kill in the way that the characters talk about, which is just to destroy them professionally. Well, it, it depends what you're thinking is going through his head here. If this is, if this is what he says it is, then it's because he thinks that Kendall is broken enough, is the loyal puppy enough, that he'll do whatever his father tells him to do. Um, that whatever that rebellious aspect of him has been thoroughly beaten out of him, and now he will. Beg at my heel if I ask him to. That could be part. That that could be a mindset aspect of it. Where you go, I don't think that's what it is. Yeah, but if that if he's accurately representing Kendall, what he wants him to do and where he's coming from, that could be an explanation for it. I think he's cool with Kendall because he knows Kendall's the one most likely to fucking punch back at him but we'll get to that I think that we do Logan says they'll set up a press conference and Kendall will admit he knew everything and directed um, the cover up uh, but that it went no higher Kendall before leaving asked if Logan ever thought he could do the top job Logan I don't know maybe Kendall you can say which is a very telling line dad you know tell me Logan says Kendall is smart but he's not a killer he says you have to be a killer but then he backs up and says well I don't know nowadays Maybe you don't. Kendall mentions that he might deserve it because of the boy. boy. The boy, meaning the Chappaquiddick boy in London at the end of the first season. Logan disagrees. Says that this is that that isn't important. NRPI, no real person involved. It's nothing. All right. Yet another thing in the column for our theory. Yeah, this is <laughs> his phrase. <laughs> yeah. Logan doesn't believe that shit. But anyway, he says it to rile up Kendall. But they walk out to the dinner table and they, Logan says, it's Kendall. Kendall says, yes, it's me. Mm-hmm. Um, question for you, Spencer. How These people are eating all the time on this boat. It seemed like they had like a really late lunch and now an early dinner. Mm-hmm. Just uh, eating all the fucking time. You know, some people travel in that kind of way. They build it around the meals. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Logan, I've decided... Roman immediately objects. What about what about one of the shit fuckers? <laughs> it's a telling line from Roman about like how he views the other people. <laughs> shit fuckers, not Kendall. He's a real person. It's also telling too that throughout a lot of the scenes we've seen, the people that have been willing to speak up for each other to Logan have been Kendall Roman for each other. Yep. Nobody nobody else speaks up for Logan here. Nobody else calls this out as being really fucking unfair, except Roman. Just that yeah. That's not fair. That's not right. It's the, it's the same, same kind of scenario of when Kendall, despite being fully emotionally beaten down by his dad, was the first one to get right in his face and tell him, you don't touch him after he slapped Roman. Yep. No, that, I mean, Roman and, and Ken are, are close. And like closer than you would, I think, a casual viewer would recognize. And, oh, and yeah. we know because we've, we've done a close read on this series. But yeah, I think they're close. And, you know, Roman does two things here. One, he says to Logan, that's not right, that's not fair. And two, as he leans in, stares Kendall in the face and says, are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. Very good call of reference to that. I mean, these two are legitimately brothers in a way that a lot of these siblings aren't. I mean, yep, cl- yep. I mean, Roman and Kendall are closer than Kendall is with his wolf friends. That's just a special kind of relationship to be a superior to. I know. He even left the wolf friends. I mean, he's yeah. he very interested in becoming a, a meth head. 
He left the wolf friends and drugs to go with Roman. Dad. He applied for the position of meth head with the wolf den. <laughs> That's an impressive level of commitment to your brother right there. <laughs> but after Roman says, are you okay? Kendall says he is. Um, with the look of a guy in a hostage video, right? Like he was like, yeah, I am fine. Yes, yes. it is okay. I'm being like treated a, very well right now. Please read the newspaper to see what the date is. It's like he, Kendall was talking like he was like, he just finished a game with the Clippers. He's like Kawhi Leonard <laughs> talking to the fucking press. Yep, uh, we had a good game. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, NBA reference. Carl asks if it's only Kendall. <laughs> a little self-serving question there. Jerry starts to give the credentials for it being Ken and starts with firstborn, secondborn son. Connor notices that, <laughs> but it's not a surprising thing. I mean, they all kind of consider Kendall as the, the alpha son. Sure. Logan tells Roman he's taking over. Roman is taking over as full COO. And Frank is not his babysitter anymore. Uh, mm. Frank is responsible for the cruises cleanup. Kendall says, eat up. This one's on me. What a shitty situation. At this time, when you were watching it for the first time, did you think that Kendall was going to march voluntarily to the to the guillotine, saying uh, that this is you know, that he was going to take this bullet for everybody else? I did. Okay. I did. I was wrong, but I, when I first watched it, I, I subscribed to the theory that you alluded to earlier, which I don't believe anymore, which was that he was such a whip dog mm-hmm. that he was going to do this. Um, but yeah, no, it, it actually was a legitimate swerve for me. What about you? I was legitimately afraid just because I thought it was the nature of this show that. We've talked about before that I was afraid that this show was just the collapse of Kendall. As a result of his family, it was ultimately going to be a tragedy in that way. To see a guy who could have been many other things, who could have gone on to other things, just be ruined by his own family, even with having opportunities to get away. I was worried that that was the kind of Shakespearean tragedy they were, they were going to give us. Hey, buddy. Yeah, sorry. He's going to jump in for right now. Get people coming yeah. by. Yeah, it's all right. Next morning, Greg and <clears throat> sorry, Spencer, I'm starting to lose my voice. Uh, next morning, Greg and Kendall get into the helicopter. On the helicopter, Kendall susses out that Greg needs to pee, which <laughs> very funny because Greg is not—he doesn't hide things very well. It's like moving his legs around and crossing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, "Hey, man, if you need to pee, you can pee. I'm not going to jump out the window." Yeah, good says Greg here. Yeah, I'll go. Yeah, I just uh, just for what it's worth, I'm sorry about this hole. I just I just think what your dad is doing is. Anyway, I'm sorry. Very, very good moment there from Greg. Actually, oh, yeah. kind of got me a little bit. Because, like, when you're trying to tell somebody that you think what's happening to them is wrong, oftentimes it's very difficult to find the words. Oh, yeah. And Greg and, was struggling with that. But I, I think that his sentiment there was well-received by Kendall. Oh, yeah. And we talked before about, we, we just discussed the idea of buddies in the show, but you kind of forget that Kendall and Greg are kind of buddies. I mean, they are. The, he, Kendall gave him the apartment? Just seemingly out of the kindness of his own heart. They've thrown parties together. Uh, Kendall's kind of made sure that Greg's always invited to things. They're kind of friends, and it's notable that Greg's the, only the second person here who's made any effort to come up to Kendall and say, this isn't fair, I'm sorry. Yeah, and we've had multiple scenes where Greg walks in a room with the family, yeah. and Kendall is the first person to talk to him. Hey, Greg, nice to see you. It makes, makes a point of making him feel included. Which I think is why Logan sent Greg with Kendall. Because uh, they recognize that, you know, Kendall kind of likes Greg. Yeah, that blows up in his... Well, depending on how you would choose to interpret this, that blows up in his face. Yeah, they land. Kendall rides into Manhattan. 
Before the press conference, Carolina is briefing Kendall, says she's only going to let them ask about three questions after the statement, and that Logan texted and he's watching. Mm-hmm. Kendall walks out. I am going to read the statement from Kendall Roy. Are you ready, Spencer? Please do. And you better emphasize a certain word to all hell. I don't even know what word you're talking about. <laughs> Most powerful word? I'll figure it out. Okay. Good morning. I have an announcement to make about wrongdoing at Waystar Royco in advance of the upcoming shareholder meeting. I have been asked to explain my own role in the managing of illegality at the firm and associated cover-ups. And it has been suggested I would be a suitable figure to absorb the anger and concern. But the truth is that my father is a malignant presence, a bully and a liar, and he was fully personally aware of these events for many years and made efforts to hide and cover up. He had a twisted sense of loyalty to bad actors like Lester McClintock and a disregard for the safety of migrant workers, non-union, union workers, and for the vulnerable performers and guests. My father keeps a watchful eye over every inch of his whole empire and the notion that he would have allowed millions of dollars in settlements and compensation to be paid without his explicit approval is utterly fanciful. Whoa. He'll turn. Kendall Roy, he'll turn. Devastating. Devastating. Woo. That was, that did surprise me in the moment. You, I, I think I got the impression from you, you might've seen it coming. I did not. And I was like, what the fuck? I had hopes. I don't think I really had suspicions. Um, but let's go into this. The actual no, press conference. Before we're done. Yeah. Uh, we cut back to the yacht. This one, yeah. That's what I wanted to go into. Roman is saying, fuck, fuck, fuck. And we the, we end the season with a shot of Logan watching this. He puts a finger to his his he silences uh, mouth the room, to silence the room, and then smirks. That smirk is incredible by Brian yep. Cox. Th- that is, I, I you know we I don't know quality acting really. I know good actors. I see when they do well. This is just one of the moments where you can see how effective a quality actor can be with just a single gesture. Because, man, that smirk has a lot to unpack. Yeah, it certainly does. Um, All right, well, that's the end of the episode. I think now we can do what we've been alluding to the entire episode, and that is to discuss our theory about what is really going on with the picking of Kindle, with how Logan is interacting with Kindle, how Kindle ends up operating. Spencer, I think we have the same idea. Lay out the theory. All right. You know what? I'm actually. Do you mind if you do it? So I, I want to respond to a couple things that I think, I think you might do. Sure, happy to. Okay. So here's what I think happened. I think that when Logan was on the phone, and the shareholder told him it needs to be you, mm-hmm. he understood that if it gotten to a point where someone felt comfortable saying that to him to his face, that, that it was more pervasive than just this person. Yeah. And he knew it had to be him, but he knew that if he tried to fall on the sword. The family wouldn't allow it. They would self-sabotage. It wouldn't work. So he needed to figure out a way to get himself in the position to be the fall guy. And he knew that Kendall is the only one that has ever really punched back at him like hard and tried to kill him. And so what he wanted to do is put Kendall in a situation that was so absurd, so unreasonable that he would force Kendall's hand to basically out Logan as the fall guy. And so the conversation that Logan had with Kendall where he says no real person involved, I don't think that's lexicon that Logan would ever use. I don't believe that. Mm. 
I think he used it because he knew that it would dehumanize himself to Kindle. It would make him seem more ruthless and, and deserving of being the fall guy than maybe he really is. Um, and so when he sent Kindle to New York, he was hoping that Kindle would do this. And that's why we get the smirk. We get the smirk, not just because Logan's plan played out, but also because Logan is proud of Kindle in that moment because he says, yes, he's still the killer. He will, Kindle's always been the killer. Mm -hmm. That the fact that he called him not, you're, you're not a killer is absolutely absurd. He called a vote of no confidence. He tried to do a hostile takeover of the company of his own father twice, like two times he tried to take his father out of the company. Mm -hmm. Now this is the third time. Kindle's a killer, and, and that's why he picked Kindle. I think uh, it's self-sabotage on Logan's part. That's the theory. Spencer responded. I 99% agree. I think it is very much a plan that he had in motion. I think it's to accept that he's trying to do something different is to ignore evidence that we have. That when the lead investors, that he has to have them all on his side, are telling him from the very beginning, it has to be you, no one else will work. We've got to view everything that comes uh, thereafter in the episode in that lens. To view it as him trying to find another skull thereafter, when he's been told they won't work, is to ignore that earlier information. And I think very much this is a plan mm -hmm. he's had in motion. Like you talked about, there were just so many checkboxes of things that he's saying and doing to Kendall that just seem needlessly antagonizing if he needs Kendall to take this bullet later. That when he's taking away his board seat, when he's sending away Naomi, when he's... Telling him he's not a killer, that he never could be fit for the position. When he's the boy was not, yeah, no, no real person involved. Yeah, that's exactly right. He's doing the no real person involved. All of those together are things that just seem designed to make Kendall try to hit him, to make Kendall go after him. So otherwise, it would make no sense unless he just fully believes that this is not a real person anymore. This is a broken husk that I can, you know, that I can mannequin behind the scenes when I need to. And I don't think Logan's the one that's going to take that kind of chance. We've seen him very capable of whining and dining. We've seen it with the investors. And for this particular moment, somebody needs to so fully jump on their sword, I can't believe he'd keep on doing all of this to just further set him off. Now, I think like we said, like you hinted at uh, before, this, is not the, this was not his only scenario that he was pondering this episode. That it seemed like he had at least three plans he was trying to get in motion, and he had to make sure those didn't work before he went with this one. Mm -hmm. That he mm -hmm. started with the idea of foreign investment. He started with going through Stu. He even said with, I think it was, I think it was after the foreign investment, that uh, I know what I have to do, or what I should do, but I don't want to. Because um, what I ought to do, I don't want to. That's it. So he tried to do everything but this scenario, but when it came to it, he'd set it up enough, and he continued to set it up enough, that it seems like he made it happen. And like you said, for unpacking how he reacts when he sees Kendall do this, before, similar to what we called out with the, uh, in, with the, when he was talking with the investor, his usual reaction to people defying him or thwarting him is just anger. Like how he responded to see the weasel, weasel guy testify. Mm -hmm. How he responded when Rhea told him off. I even responded to Marsha when she just started walking out of the room, is to immediately confront them, is to immediately respond aggressively to it in some ways. To see him not respond to that matter, particularly with Kendall here at the end, of when he's sending him to jail right now, possibly, or at least ending his continued role in his company. Rather than raging, rather than expressing surprise, rather than expressing confusion, he silences the room so he can experience the moment. And just takes it in, and he's got that little smile on his face. 
Like, if we're wrong, if this isn't some grand plan, he's at least proud of his son in that moment. Uh, that he was able to pull this off and do this. But I'm with you. I think this is some grand plan. Now, I previously offered the theory, and I'm sticking to it, that the no real person may have been a quip that he'd thrown off that he'd been stuck with. Don't know that for sure. But it certainly in this moment is something that he knows would set Kendall off, given how important this is to him, how much it's hurt him. So I'm fully with you. I'm, I'm on the grand Logan strategy. I don't know how it plays out. I don't know, I think Logan necessarily knows how it plays out. This seems like it's one of the only scenarios by which his family can remain in control of his company. And whether actively or not, even behind the scenes, he could still have this degree of influence and this degree of role. It's still a hell of a Hail Mary kind of shot. It's risking himself in a way we've never really seen him do before, if we're correct. But he's not, he's not left with many options here, and, he's been t and it's, it seems to a certain degree appropriate that the old... Um, sacrifice in some ways so that their nation can survive. Yep. Completely agree. I mean, I think we were pretty much on the same page here. Um, I'd also point out that I think Logan, the idea of self-sacrifice from Logan is probably compounded by the fact, confounded by the fact that um, Marsh is gone and he, he really is upset about that. So he's, I think he's kind of like, I've, I'm at the end of my rope here. I'm like, I, whatever. I'll just do it. I'm not happy. I also fully believe that he would have very much preferred to be able to vet this plan by Martian. That if she'd been present in there, she could have been somebody that he could bounce this off of and fully discussed and worked it out. And that it's a big loss that she's not present to have that kind of equal partner in this business relationship. Yep, completely agree. Okay, all right. Well, any final thoughts on the season finale of season two before we get to our segments? Again, it's just so rare to see a show stick the landing so damn well. To be building on so many different varied plot threads and have them all come together. I mean, so many shows, even ones that we like, usually just write off vast chunks of what they've done. To never address again, or just like, ah, oh, you know, it's mysteries, they'll never be solved. There's so much that this show is able to successfully bring to a conclusion, or at least bring to a satisfying resolution, given the show's still concluding, in the middle, in this finale. It was just... Really impressive writing to see that they'd so clearly planned out a season to build to a moment. Completely agree. Uh, but do you see now why I wanted I, I wanted to do this so that you could see these last two episodes? Fully. Fully. They're powerful works of television. Completely agree. Yeah, And, and for the record, I like season two better than season one, even though season one was really good. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, let's get to our segments. Okay. Spencer, do you have any relationship advice to the episode? You know, a couple things. We kind of already went into a bit with Tom and Shiv, but this is one of those kind of moments of where you really realize that a relationship can only really survive by two people being willing to talk. That she kind of mocks him to a certain degree when he says, oh, that one's been stewing for a while. But yeah, it has, because the two of them never had the kind of relationship where they could actually express what they feel. That Tom was always just kind of almost afraid to with her because she was the one that was constantly in control. And she was almost in some ways afraid to let Tom do it because she was afraid that he might defy her or afraid that he might say something that doesn't agree with her. And she wouldn't know what to do with that. And we see that just come so fully to fruition in this episode of where because they were never willing to have those talks, because they were never willing to actually express where they're at or even just ask the other person where they're at, we see it end in just abject tragedy and pain. And it's just a testament to how toxic the relationship is that I can call that cathartic and even a cheerworthy moment. But it's just been that bad. 
if you've got the kind of relationship where you can't talk, where the only moment, where you have that moment like with Tom, where you have to express that feeling because you've never been able to discuss anything more mild before under a hope of building the relationship together to save it, I'm sorry. I just hope you're able to get out and get away and find a better place. Um, also, uh, I will think we should take a note from Logan here that even if he is legitimately trying to screw over uh, Kendall in the end here, it's always good to feel pride in your children, even when they are actively shooting you in the face. Well, because that's what Logan would have done. Yeah, I mean, his son proved that he was a killer in a way that Shiv wasn't. He called Shiv out for it, that she wasn't willing to do it. Oh, that's um, a great point. Yeah, because, yeah, exactly. That's a good parallel that I hadn't thought about before, is that Shib in this episode, shows that she's not a killer, and Kendall shows that he is. I mean, Kendall, there's no coming back from what Kendall just did. Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, it's diff- this is different than the vote of no confidence and the potential takeover, because now he is on television t- telling the world that his father committed crimes. Yeah, and Kendall, That's a different animal. And Kendall can't know how this plays out. He can't be certain what effect this is going to have on the company, on his family, no or idea. anything else. I mean... Logan's doing this because it may be as an off chance that they can win this in the end if he, if all the blame gets directed on him personally and everything else is to survive outside of him. But no one can know how those pieces are going to play. Uh, pieces are going to play. How this game's going to eventually play out. I mean, at this point, we don't even know what Kendall even wants out of this. I, I don't think he can think that long term for this. No, I think it was just a reactionary move. I don't think it was a long term strategic play. I think it was like, "Fuck you for asking me to do this. Here's mm-hmm. what you get." Okay. All right. Good relationship advice of the episode. We get to line the episode, Spencer. A lot of good lines in this episode. I think there's one that we have to pick. I don't think there, I think it was always, this is one of those where I'm going to cut right to it only because I think it's so obvious. And then I want to talk a little bit about the line with you, if that's all right. All right. Go ahead. I wonder if the sad I'd be without you would be less than the sad I get from being with you. Yeah. Incredible line. Incredible culmination of the Tom Shib relationship, but I also think that if you select this as line of the episode, it also could apply to Logan. Because think of the family, the fam- yeah. Logan's family. Logan may be thinking, like, they may get more happiness with me gone. Mm-hmm. They may like me gone more than they like me here. I think it can apply to Logan as well, and in his decision and, and how he's gone about this. Yeah, if my theory is correct, I. That's a very good call. I haven't really thought of it through that lens, but it really summarizes a lot of the relationships on this damn show, which is yep. really sad. Um, but yeah, it is an incredibly powerful line. And yeah, it, it's it got to be a definite contender for a lot of the episode. Yeah, I know that's that's the winner. I mean, because even think of like Kendall with his first wife, that line can apply to them because they yeah. clearly don't hate each other. But they're like she's more sad with him than she is without him. You see this in, in relationships across the, as you put it up, relationships across the uh, across the spectrum here for the show. So I think it was a really, it's a sad line. Mm-hmm. It clearly is a line that's impactful for a particular relationship, but it does something that I like. The lines that I select for lines of the episode mm-hmm. uh, does, which is to actually kind of summarize either the episode or the series or or, or the characters in general, not just in that individual moment. Mm-hmm. Um. In terms of funniest line of the episode, I'm presuming you're going with Tom, with Tom farting in his shit? Absolutely. Just just checking. <laughs> very, very tough. That's honorable mention. Very tough for me to not select that one. <laughs> uh, I, one of the fallbacks I was going to say, just because of how much it turns the show on its head, this is actually the line I wanted to emphasize when you were doing Kendall's speech, is the way he emphasizes the word but. Oh, yeah. Uh, of where he's presenting this. He's like he's about to fall on his sword. 
And then he hits the word butt and he but. pauses on it. Well, and, and then they cut, it's interesting how they do it because then they cut back to the, the yacht. And the room gets tent Like, you see Shiv tense up because mm-hmm. they know, oh, God, this is going to go a different way. Yeah, it's a good call. So, yeah, I mean, this, this, there's some definitely good lines this episode, but I'm perfectly content to, to end on those three just because it is... They emphasize a lot of what this show does well. The just very powerful, tragic lines, the sudden surprises due to quality build-up writing, and also just the legitimately funny shit that comes out of these characters' mouths on occasion. Farted in his shit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you that so many times. Like, if we're like, playing cards or something and you screw up, Spencer, why are you farting in your shit over there? <sighs> I know you are. <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. So sorry, I, I just kind of jumped the gun on that, but I just felt go. like this 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 line is uh, is so good and it's, yeah, it's so impactful. summarizing of the show. Um, yeah, awesome. All right, now we get to our last segment, which is Roy of the episode, Spencer. <gasps> uh, okay, let's go through all of them because we got options here. I think. Okay. Uh, let's let's start from characters that we definitely don't think are Roy of the episode and kind of go up from there. But I think. Shiv honestly ends at the lowest point of any of the characters. Completely agree. Yeah, she she took a, she took an L professionally, right, in the eyes of her father, mm-hmm. um, and she's taking a really hard L with Tom in the sense that the power dynamic that she first established with him is kind of falling apart. Yeah, very and much also so. I I don't even know if like I don't even know if Tom is st- I, I know that she saved Tom from like being the fall guy, but I'm not sure Tom is still in the relationship regardless. Because he seemed like he was being, he was very much like, I'm kind of out on this. No, he ate Logan's chicken. We've seen he ate alpha, the chicken. We've seen an alpha ability out of Tom, not even alpha at this point, but we've seen a Tom willing to express himself. That's a better way to put it. Uh, in a way we've not seen before. Willing to take action in response to his emotions. I don't picture Tom being willing to just be stifled, to be silent, to be unhappy again. I think... Tom may be willing to chart a new course now, chart his own course now in a way he hasn't been willing to before. And I don't see that involving Shiv. I agree. I think that we're, what we're going to see in season three is a split there. Yeah. Um, and then, like I mentioned before, I think we'll see a Shiv spiral. And that'll be interesting, but, you know, sad like many other things on this fucking show. Yeah. And Shiv ends this losing everything. She's probably lost Tom. Her family's going to be now in shambles. Her dad may be going to prison or at least out of the company. She's essentially surrendered all of her dreams because she just proved that she's not willing to measure up to Logan's standards and not even accept the very ambiguous idea of being a very senior person. It's She's left with nothing by the end of this, which is just an amazing shift from where she started this season. Yeah, so she's lost. Um, all right, next, Connor. Connor. Obviously, Connor's not in. Yeah. But tough times for Connor. He's lost. I mean, there's another guy who's lost everything. He's essentially penniless. His girlfriend, the woman that he loves, is kind of questioning her life choices as a result of her dreams shattering around her. He bought a fake Napoleon dick, which is always going to be a bad day. And his he has dad, to end his presidential campaign. Yeah, ending his presidential campaign, and with his dad saying, "I'm you, you embarrass me." Whew. And to the point that even him being willing to fall on his sword is treated as laughable by the table. He's th- viewed that insignificantly. He even casually referred to as forgotten, as, you know, forgotten as the actual first son. This is not a good day for Connor. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, not not good for Connor. Okay, um, next, I think we have to talk about Logan, right? I think Logan's got to be it. I mean, it's, it's a testament to how badly the other two fared that the idea that this man may well go to prison is viewed as our middle choice here, but... If our grand strategy idea is correct, 
he's in some ways getting a win out of this, even if he's losing a lot. Yes, completely agree. Um, and, right. and, and, he, and, and he ends legitimately proud of one of his children in a way we've never seen him before in this show. Yes, yes, agree. Kendall? Uh, I, yeah, I think I would put Kendall in this place. He's burned a lot. He's charting an uncertain future for himself. He doesn't know where this is going to end. He doesn't know where he's going to be. But it's his own. He's free in a way we've never seen him be capable of doing before. Even when he was trying to stab his dad, he was still tied to him. He was still trembling at the idea of even handing him a notice saying that they were moving against him. This Kendall is away from that in a way... I can't even predict where he's going to be next season. I hope it's with Naomi. I hope it's finding some way entirely separate from all of this. But I don't know. But it's a liberating feeling for a character. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But I also think that the uncertainty about his position um, means he probably isn't Roy of the episode. I think, Spencer, and you tell me if I'm wrong, for the second straight week, Roman has to be Roy of the episode. Damn straight. Absolutely yeah. damn straight. Even even when him being in somewhat uncertain position as a result of his CEO position now being over, over a sinking ship, maybe. Uh, this is ship. a man. Who's I like what you did there, sinking ship. <laughs> this is a man who has legitimately grown up before our eyes. You know, Pinocchio yep. has become a real boy. Uh, <laughs> it, yeah. it, it's just amazing <laughs> to see how funny. far he has come over the course of this, and it also, you know, it gives hope in a lot of interesting ways. <laughs> that he could rise to the occasion of actually taking over this company. We previously viewed Ray as saying that as just you know, trying to entertain what Logan thought, but looking at this season, yeah, maybe he could. Maybe better than his siblings, even. Assuming he's got the right base of support behind him. And also, relationship with Jerry. That's no longer some kind of weird thing that they're both getting off on. There's actually a hope that the two of them could actually meet as a certain degree of equals and maybe actually get married, the way Roman supposed. They're capable of actually going out in polite company and making a relationship happen, assuming that's what she wants. It's still a little bit ambiguous what, ne what she necessarily wants out of him. Um, but yet, as rough as the family ends up, he's put in a position of wherever he goes, there's hope there. There's progress there. There's ability to make the world his in a way that I, in first season, didn't think was possible. Kudos. I think it's a win. Yep, I agree. Um, I think that... Here's my prediction for next season. Maybe we can transition into predictions for the next season. Mm -hmm. oh, and so I think... Greg's honorable mention, of course. Greg honorable mention, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I mean, he fucking just killed it in front of the Senators. I mean, who has a quote like that? My God. Uh, his records, though, finally got their play. Apparently, the records he was even able to save from the ones that Tom burned, assuming these aren't other records that he actually intelligently hit, which I don't think they are. Is ones are ones that had Logan's signature on them. So, well done, Greg. Yes, if it is to be said. If it is, if to, it is be to be said. said, so it be, so it is, Spencer. Indeed. <laughs> uh, okay, predictions for the next season. Then we'll wrap up. I, I, you know, my thought here is that they are going to pursue the the route of Logan um, having to deal with criminal charges. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to have Kendall outside the company with Naomi. Potentially working with the Pierces, who knows? Mm -hmm. And then you have Roman, effective Roman and Jerry, effectively taking over Way Star Boy Co. That's uh, my thought. Okay, uh, I predict that given that this show has given us so many different kinds of different show in the course of putting itself on, I think the entire next season is going to be procedural crime drama. I think, I think it is going to be a Law and Order, just series of episodes, nonstop of uh, 
of uh, Logan being put on trial. That is my prediction. Ready to see it play out. Like it'll be a cold opening and like Logan shoots someone and this dun 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 and then yeah, like there'll there. be that bar on bar noise that started every episode. That that's what's going to happen. Yeah, you never know what to know uh, think about this show, but it, it does reinvent itself. But I thought this was a particularly good season. I really enjoyed doing it with you, Spencer. I'm sorry to tell our listeners we haven't decided on the next thing we're doing. Um, I, we are definitely going to do something. I, I think we're discussing something sci-fi related, maybe. Oh, you want to do Mandalorian? That's that's one of the ones you proposed. Okay, if, if you're willing to, I haven't really settled on it. But if you're willing to, we can do it. You know what? We're gonna let our we're gonna let the shit fuckers vet it behind the scenes. But I think I'm willing to offer maybe a you know a potentially firm commitment to this. Okay. All right. Well, we tentatively are doing Mandalorian. That's the uh, Disney Plus show um, about a Mandalorian bounty hunter set in the Star Wars universe about eh, 15, 20 years after the end of Return of the Jedi. Very good. It's Baby Yoda shout out. Um, we probably, with, with that, that's much shorter episodes. It's a, a little bit more of a streamlined series. Spencer, I don't know about you, but I, I think we could probably do multiple episodes per episode of Mangum Talks TV, but we'll work that out. But either way, we're going to be back, folks. Thank you for joining us for Succession. We had a lot of fun. Spencer, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Thank you again for recommending this show, man. It has paid dividends away I never thought possible. Awesome. If, if for no other reason that I've recommended it to so many other people that have now never heard of it before and now adore it. Good, good. Yeah, and, and we def we're we probably going to do Mandalorian next, and we'll continue to do different shows, different movies, things that we like, but we're definitely going to be back week by week for Season 3 of Succession. Welcome Until then, thanks, everybody. See you. <laughs>